Hi, I'm Mandolin Royal, and I would like to welcome you to another episode of the Poultry Keepers podcast. Joining me are John Gunterman and Rip Stalvey, the rest of our podcast team, and we're looking forward to visiting with you and talking poultry from feathers to function. Another thing I think a lot of people don't do, and they should be doing, is weigh your birds. I see a lot of birds in shows that are too big and some that are too small. Yeah, I've also seen birds that I thought looked great, and I picked them up and I'm like, where is this thing? It's all fluff and feather. I've seen as much as three to four pounds discrepancies from bird to bird within the same breed, same yeah. age, same environment, with huge discrepancies. The standard specifies weights for cockerels, weights for pullets, weights for cockbirds, and weights for hens. Now, you're allowed 20% over or under, okay? But anything outside of that disqualifies that bird from competition. Yeah. I thought it was one pound up or down, but it's 20 If you do the math, it's pretty close. We talked about wings and tails. We also need to address feather quality. And Mandy, you almost got there when you were talking about the shape of the feathers in the wings. Now, isn't now, it like, for example, with a wing feather, you want as much feather material on both sides of the shaft of the feather, right? You, no, you shouldn't no, see. No, The leading edge of the primaries will be naturally narrower than the following edge or the back edge, the edge closest to the body. Oh, okay. Now, secondaries are much more even, but on the primaries, you get this variation. But the, the standard will prescribe feather quality to an extent. It's, they'll say it should be broad. Some will say narrow. And some of it depends on the breed. Like your harder feathered, the birds that carry those feathers closer to the bodies tend to have a slightly narrower feather structure than birds like Asiatics, Orpingtons, and some of those. Oh, animals. that makes sense. And then you add in that fluff factor and how fluffy yeah. they are or are yeah. not and the length of the feathers. Stop picking on my birds, Mandy. I didn't. I didn't even say your I know. I know. I'm just <laughs> sensitive about my fluff factor. But that is specified in the standard. Hey. And... It actually At has pictures warm. of how far up the shaft the fluff should extend. And yeah. your breed is going to be specific, though. Yeah. The more fluff you have on a feather, the more loosely feathered it makes them look. Just because Just, it provides that extra little bit of loft to physically lift and separate those feathers a little bit. Yeah. And it For prevents example, them from being able to tighten it down. Yeah. That's how you can achieve tight through feathers. I want a really nice hard outer shell to ward off wind and any potential snow, in my case, or rain, uh, of running around in the rain. I actually look at feathers from the breast area or the very top of the back, up between the hackles and the, the saddle feathers, and get an idea for feather width, feather shape, and feather quality. If you'll take the back of your hand and start at the bird's hackle, I just slide it down on top of the feathers from the neck to the tail. You can really feel the feather quality. If it feels very slick and smooth like silk cloth, that's good feather quality. If it feels rough, 
not so much. And you can also pluck a feather out and hold it up to the light. If you can see through it, you don't have a very substantial feather. That makes sense. And, and that, that all sense. goes back to genetics and nutrition. Yes, exactly. Should it be thick? And if it's not, why not? Well, and yeah, I noticed new this year in some of my pellets, they're developing a cushion. And when you see a cushion on a female, that's where it's real fluffy and bouncing up off the back in front of the tail in the saddle area. And it there's varying degrees because normally my birds are pretty well tightly feathered and it's all smooth. There's no jumped up fluff or what do you call it? Volume. They don't have any volume. <laughs> but some of these that I'm seeing this year are getting a pretty well-defined cushion, which is weird. I don't even know where that's coming from. So you back don't to pair hatching I go. I, I do what you do. Pull out a feather from that cushion area on a bird that has it. And you pull out a feather from the same location on a bird that doesn't have it. Look at the amount of fluff between the two. Ah, that's where that extra volume's coming from. So somehow I added more fluff than what they had before. And how much of that can be a response to local environment and just epigenetic development? I wonder now if that's influence for the time of year they were hatched. I don't think so. No, I'm seeing cushions on Rhode Island reds that I never saw before. It's just not paying attention to the fine details when you're evaluating your birds. You got a lot more ratio of fluff to web of the feather. And in some instances, you have a longer feather, which will give you a looser look. I'll go back through my adults again for the 1,000th time and see if I find somebody <laughs> with a long saddle feather on a female that may be producing cushion. <laughs> so if you got your four birds lined up next to each other and they're all of equal confirmation and you're looking at those finer points, Feather quality is for sure one of them. It's on um, the list, just not the top of the list. Feather quality is also directly related to the sheen of a bird, the shininess of the feathers. And when you start losing your feather quality, the feather surface be begins to take on a slightly duller look and not as shiny. Right. When you described that feel earlier, Rip, that that's something that you're not going to be able to change for a show by putting uh show sheen or shine no or whatever no. they call it on your bird you'll even if the feather is shiny uh, you'll still be able to feel that little roughness of the feather versus the silky quality underneath and exactly you'll probably right. be able to feel that it was sprayed with this juice anyways you have to go well, wipe your hands i have literally seen people put so much of that stuff on the birds it's hard to hold them i've nearly mm -hmm. dropped birds before because they were so slick from having that show sheen sprayed on. And then it's on uh, your hands the rest of the day. Unless yeah. you got hand wipes. I, well, I've had to go stop stop what I was doing and go wash my hands. It When they're spraying it, particularly on concrete floors, it gets on the floor and it's it makes slippery. the floor slick. Mm -hmm. It's like being on ice. You can put a great shine on a bird with nothing more complicated than a silk cloth. Just rubbing or, the feathers with it. Or a garden hose. On a nice, warm, sunny day. Yeah, it doesn't hurt your birds to get wet. I think fact, the birds that, that really have access to the environment and get rained on regularly look better naturally. They also learn to 
preen and dust bathe and take care of themselves yeah. versus of just a coop kept bird. I know one Sumatra breeder that he would regularly go out there and spray his males down with a water hose. And he had some of the best sheen and best best quality on those birds I've ever seen. Yeah, I've been definitely guilty of, I, I would call it rinsing my birds. I don't wash them because any natural oils that are there, I don't want to take away by using anything that's you detergent do based. That. Just a light but just, is all it takes. Yeah, garden hose, spray them down. And on hot days, my Chanticleers definitely appreciate a nice little misting with a garden hose or just the sprinkler going back and forth. Oh my gosh. If you want some entertainment on a hot day, put a sprinkler out and put it on <laughs> oscillation back and forth and watch your chickens chase the water. It's really quite fun. I've done it for ducks, but I've never done it for chickens. Oh yeah, they love it. Mine will actually walk under it and hold their wings out as it sweeps back and forth. It's like the undercarriage wash on a car wash. And then after it goes by, they shake like a dog. It, I think it's funny and cute. If you're not out there observing your birds and just getting joy and having fun with them, then don't bother keeping them. And that's part of chickening is just watching your birds and knowing them. I can just based on the way they walk or run, I can tell which one of my birds is which one of my permanent birds. If I've got a big grow out of 60 or 80 birds on the ground, that's nah, not happening. But the big it ones, the ones. It doesn't take me very long to find my individuals and be able to find them again without any sort of ID or label. Like I have this one pullet right now. And she, I will spot her out of a flock of 100. The way she moves and way she interacts, you're like, there she is. She's a door greeter. She comes running up to the front of the pen and stands there. And I could just reach down and pick her up. And I don't raise them to be that way. We're a dual purpose flock. I'm not trying to have them be that way. Yeah. But she has decided, you know what? I'm special and you're going to treat me like I am special. So I'll give her a little handful of a snack. <laughs> so now well, she does it's, reliably. It's those birds that are the first ones out and want to go explore. They're the natural leader of the cohort where everybody will be like, okay, now you go. He'll go. And then they'll go and they'll check it out and be like, okay, it's cool. And then everybody will run over. They're the special birds. She's they, first or second out the door every morning, and it's either the cockerel ahead of her or behind her. You guys were just leading me into my next thing that I wanted to talk about, and you're doing it naturally. You may be doing it with intent, or it may just be what you learned to do. But when you're evaluating birds, to me, one of the easiest things to do is to compare one bird to another bird. Bird A and bird B. Is bird B yeah. better overall than the other one? Set him aside till you find one better than him. And you can sort through a lot of birds in a hurry like that. Sometimes That's it's real what... helpful to have somebody who doesn't even know anything about chickens come by. Because they're mm -hmm. like, ooh, what, that, that bird right there, what's going on with that bird? Or if, the, or if visitors compliment you on your turkeys. A question that I get from a lot of people is if they've never really thought about doing breeding selection, they'll ask, how do you even start? Let's say I have 20 birds in front of me. How do I even begin? And I'm like, well, start by catching one. Yeah. Don't think about who it is. Just the first one you can put your hands on, bring that bird out, evaluate it. And every single bird after that is going to be better or worse in different things, different qualities. And that's where you develop your goals from is what you're finding, what you have, and what you want them to do, what the standard wants them to do, and mm -hmm. going through them systematically. But you begin just by picking one. It doesn't even matter which one. You have your no. notebook and you score them. If, if you try to 
sort through a whole flock of birds as a group, you're going to wind up making mistakes. You got to take them one at a time. And just like Mandy says, compare the next bird to the one you just looked at. Is he better or worse? And go through them that way. Much faster process. Mm-hmm. Well, end up with a much smaller group of who was better. And you can ignore everybody else and do it again with what was better. Hi there, Poultry Keepers. This is Mandolin Royal, one of the voices behind the Poultry Keepers podcast. We're on a mission to create a larger, more vibrant community of poultry enthusiasts, and we need your help. If you enjoy our poultry conversations and insights, here's a simple way to support us. Just spread the word and share the Poultry Keepers podcast with your fellow poultry lovers, friends, and family. By recommending us, you're not just helping our show grow, but you're also connecting more people with the joy of poultry keeping. So hit that share button, post it to your socials, or tell your chicken-loving friends about us. Let's grow a larger community together. Thanks for being a part of the Poultry Keepers family. Now, back to our show. I know you and Karen Johnston especially put a ton of work in on the Poultry Keepers 360 selection tool where you can have all the different categories that you're looking for and weigh them against each mm-hmm. other and have a change your scale on the fly. You know what? This year, breast width is more important to me. And you, you change that and it changes your selection criteria for your birds. So it, it takes, it puts a lot of objectivity into the selection process and takes a lot of the subjectivity out of it. Once, you once can, you come uh, up with in your mind what a 10 out of 10 is for flushing, then you can input that score for each bird and add right. them up. And your natural winners are going to be the ones with the highest scores, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And if yeah. somebody wants to get a copy of that spreadsheet, if they're members of Poultry Keepers 360 on Facebook, it's in the file section. If you're not a member, join and go to the file section and you'll find the selection tool in there. And it's simply a spreadsheet. And it's just scoring for different kind of qualities is what it amounts to. Yeah. score wins. Yeah. But you can change the weight of each individual score exactly. overall, which is really helpful for yeah. when, if you want to focus on two or three traits this year and not maintain the other traits, you can do that or not. You can do whatever you want. But I find I get overwhelmed easily if I don't have a very good uh, inventory and tracking system. So all my birds get wing banded no later than day three and their permanent record starts uh, actually well before hatch. Their permanent record starts with the date, time and temperature that I collected their egg. That's a lot. <laughs> I just write right on the shell when I take it out of the box. The time is, I've got infrared thermometer. It's cold. out. I record the temperature. If it's 72 out and the egg is still above 70, it's irrelevant. But if it's negative 30 out, if that egg is under really 40 degrees for a shell temperature, by the time I collect it, I'm not going to consider setting it. Yeah, that reduces the chances pretty far underneath those refrigerator temperatures, I guess you could call it. Guys, we've talked a lot about body shape, body form, which we should because type is far more important than color. Type is everything. Build the barn and paint it, you say, all the time, right? We do need to address color, and it's hard to do on a podcast because each party-colored breed or variety, and party-colors means more than one color. P-A-R-T-I. Yeah, P-A-R-T-I. But the standard will tell you what that color should be, where it should be on the individual feathers. 
some standards will even take laced breeds. It's a, let's take a, a silver laced bird, which is it's a white feather with a black uh, edging around it. It'll tell you whether it's supposed to be oval shaped or is it supposed to be almond shaped. They can get that specific. Patterns are tricky. I dabbled in patterns and realized, you know what? I think I want my birds to be white. <laughs> my old English pheasant fowl had a silver spangled pattern, which was just so intricate and delicate and gorgeous, yeah. I thought. And I'm really glad that somebody who had better resources than I took over that project because they are very special and rare here in the States. Mm-hmm. I did try and- some double silver lace barn velders, and those were fun. And that pattern... It was so pretty, but so tricky, too. Yes. I only kept them for about two years, and then I moved on to birchen, black silvers, and some other simpler patterns that still carried their own complexities. That's where attention to detail and having an eye is really going to pay off. And why I ended up with uh, white birds. Y'all, Mandy was talking about she wanted all her birds to be white. But there's even problems in white color varieties. Am I not right? Yeah, but it's a little easier to worry about removing, like yellowing and finding all the different contributors to that. And that can go all the way back to the base color that's underneath the white because the white is always covering something. Mm. And what it's covering is what you might be up against, especially if there's anything red in there that's going to come out as yellow. I'm always selecting silver down chicks. My chicks come out gold, but they'll have and, a silver the, down. The, the ones I want. Oh, yeah. You bet. The standard doesn't refer to it as a yellowing. If you're looking it up in the standard, it's going to refer to it as brassiness. That makes sense. So, the light color of brass. Other solid colors. Buff, for example. You would think pretty straightforward, right? No. Because it should be the same shade of buff in each section of the bird. Hackle should match the tail, should match the breast, should match the wing, should match the back. That's not easy to do. And then you throw into the back that they are sensitive to sunlight. I'll just put it that way. Because it can bleach them out and turn them patchy looking. Yeah, that's true. And you can start seeing the visual difference between an old feather and a new feather. Mm -hmm. Same thing with blues. You can get patchiness and are not a good even surface color. The solid colors do want to have an ever so slight lacing, especially in some of the blue varieties. The blues, yes, you want to see the lacing in there. Should be slate blue and laced in a fine edging of black. Can you touch on briefly what you mean by blue? Blue is a gene that dilutes black to a slaty blue color. And if you get two copies of the blue gene, you get a splash bird. Now, even though it's splashed, it's going to have blue splashes. It's not going to have black. If it's got black, you got something else going on there. It's not blue. Because the splash red to a black give you all blues. Yeah. I've played around with blue-black splash in a couple different varieties, and they are fun to play around with. It'll start teaching you a lot about color expression and Mm -hmm. how those genes can affect each other. And for example, if you take a splash and you breed it to a splash and you do that repeatedly, you start losing that good depth of blue. Mm-hmm. What do you call those little blotches? Splashes. I feel like there should be <laughs> another term for the blue bits because they're random. They're not in a set right. pattern. Right. But then 
subsequently through the generations, you start losing that depth of the color there unless you put them back to a black or a blue. It's just neat watching it go from one generation to another and who you choose. If you notice your blues are getting washed out and pale and the lacing's not that great, breed them to a black. In that next generation, you'll see a whole new color of blue come through. Okay, now you've opened up another can of worms for me to talk about. Great. Well, we're getting off topic now. We're straying nope, off. No, the we're skin. not. No, we're not. No, we're still, still in. About, we're still in. We're still talking about color. Okay. If you breed a blue to a black, do you breed it to just any black? Or do you breed it from a black that came from a blue and blue mating? I've always done it from blacks that came from the blue being in there. Like I never went to a black bird that was from straight black for multiple generations. And that's the way you should do it. It's the way you were doing it. I always use a black that came from a blue and blue mating. What happens if you don't? You can lose the lacing on the, on the blue birds. Really? Yeah, because those blacks are carrying that lacing gene. You may not see it because of the black feather background. Yeah. But that's, it's underlying and that's, it's these other genes on top of it that's allowing it to come through. Exactly. Oh. So it's like a diluter gene? Yes. Gotcha. Gotcha. I've been playing with quail and we bandy these terms around a lot and they go really fast, which is really nice. I've been playing with polygenetic inheritance requiring something on from all four grandparents before it's going to express fun stuff goes fast and quail are delicious yeah i got a few points i want to hit because we're getting here towards the tail end of our show it's going to take you some time to build your confidence in evaluating birds Mm -hmm. and it's nothing wrong whatsoever about getting a friend of yours that raises birds who may be more experienced than you to help you do that because that's how you're really going to learn So just remember, it's going to take you some time and it's going to take a lot of practice to get it down right. But you will get there. Trust me, you will get there. And another thing I want to remind folks, and we talked about this early on, if you will go back and read that first 39, 40 pages in the standard of perfection, it has all the definitions. It has, they talk about defects, disqualifications a scale of points they divide a bird into different sections and you get so many points for the head so many points for the back and right on down through all the things we've already been talking about it will give you a very systematic way to evaluate your birds if you follow that the amount of points that they deduct for a comb is a lot different than what a breeder may think the importance of a comb whether it has five or six or seven points I was mm-hmm. just going to say that the point system really shows you which traits are more important than others. The comb is what a max of five points, but the back is 10. The combs are very insignificant in the overall scheme of the bird, but most people, and Mandy, I know you've seen it working with folks with breast, get so stressed out if they have six or seven points on the bird. When I'm judging, I, I'm only supposed to deduct one half point for every point of the comb over or under the required number. If they have a seven point comb, that's only one point off the whole bird's overall score. If the rest of the bird is there, your carriage is right, your heart girth and depth and everything, and you're disqualifying a bird because it has seven points, maybe you need to reevaluate. 
another thing that's in those first few pages of the standards, there's illustrations that can be so helpful, answer a lot of your questions. And the last thing I've got, and then I'm going to be quiet because this is something that really lights my fire here. If you have questions about your bird, go by the written standard. Don't go by what somebody tells you because so many information gets passed on from person to person. And it's just like telling jokes. One person can tell me a joke and by the time I tell it to somebody else and they tell it to somebody else and they tell it to somebody else, not even the same joke anymore. It's a game of telephone. So just start with the book. You can ask your questions and get a response and you can ask five different people. Hopefully at least three of them give you the same answer, but you might get five completely different answers that are subjective based instead of factual from the book based based on something that they heard and on down the chain. (laughs) And there's a lot of knowledge out there that is going to be almost bloodline specific, especially with how certain traits or even how colors play together when you're doing the breeding for a pattern, that kind of stuff isn't going to be in the book. And you do absolutely want to mentor for that. But for the technical data, keep it by the book. And that's where some of these really good resources online, if you find them, like the Chanticleer Fanciers International has a, a Facebook page. It's a private page and there's only 52 members, but they're all the people who are basically lifetime members of that organization. And if I have a question about my Chanticleers, I will post videos and pictures up there and let the members help me sort it out. Yeah. Um, Having a small group like that is helpful because then it reduces some of the noise. We'll get into some pretty heated discussions over esoteric points in the standard where you have 52 (laughs) people read the same paragraph or even the same sentence you're like, to me, this means this, and here's a picture, and this is why I think so. And somebody else says, to me, this means this, and it can get good, but it eventually gets sorted out in a good club. That's how they should run. And the president of our organization is an active member. We get good steering. And that's the important thing is qualifying where your advice comes from. And you touched on that. There's some great breeders who don't even know what a a standard is and i don't know how they do that but they have with their hands i hope everyone's enjoyed the show we've covered a lot of territory just talking about i think we spent more time talking about understanding and applying the standard than we have any other topic we've covered so far we only touched on the surface of it and i think we could dive into it even deeper and get even more particular if we wanted to we could do a whole year on just the standard of perfection (laughs) just the first 38 39 pages do people even are they going to stop by and listen to that you guys can email us and tell us what you want to yeah please do please let us know what you want us to talk about all right folks thanks for listening we've had a great time as always and we hope that we have been able to add a little value to your poultry keeping experience and help you improve your birds in the long run so until next time we will see you later Bye-bye. This brings us to the close of another Poultry Keepers podcast. Until next time, we'd appreciate it if you would drop us a note letting us know your thoughts about our podcast. Please share our podcast with all of your friends that keep poultry, and we hope you'll join us again when we'll be talking poultry from feathers to function. (laughs) 